Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Grab your Bibles, turn with me please to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. We'll read the first four verses. Matthew 18. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a child to him and put the child among the disciples. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins, he's talking to the disciples, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Father, we just ask um, your blessing and your anointing on the hearing and preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you would work that miracle of communication that you, that you so often do. And I pray that inside of my voice that, that, that we'd hear the voice of the divine. We'd hear your word speaking through my words today. And I pray that our lives are not just challenged, not just stirred, but changed by your word and by your, your, your power. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, many Christians can tell you that it takes childlike faith to be successful in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as it says in this passage. What, unfortunately, far fewer believers can tell you is that the key to childlike faith is humility, humility. If we're going to be pleasing to Jesus, then we have got to be people who are truly and humbly, uh, authentically humble people uh, from the inside out. Last week, we started a brand new series uh, called Humility, the Key to Childlike Faith. Humility, the Key to Childlike Faith. And in the very first message, we learned that pride is the opposite of faith, not fear, Pride is the opposite of faith. Here's why. Because when you have faith in God, it means you're totally and completely dependent upon him for your provision. Pride, on the other hand, means you are totally and completely depending upon yourself for your provision. Complete opposites. You can, you can obey God. You can step out in faith and be scared to death. You cannot and will not stand, step out in faith when you're full of yourself in pride. True faith is rooted uh, true faith in Jesus is rooted in humility. If it isn't humble, it isn't faith. Now today we're going to look at yet another aspect of this struggle between humility and pride. Now a lot of people would suggest, especially in our culture, would suggest that pride is the way to get ahead. It's the way to be successful. It's the way to, uh, to, to accomplishment. It, it, they, they, see it's the way to, they see it as the way to make their dreams come true. They see it as a way to see their goals fulfilled. 
it certainly pushed that way. It certainly uh, promoted that way in the society. Proud, arrogant people get lots of press, don't they? We see them all the time, hear about them all the time. Lots of social media attention, lots of followers. Humility, on the other hand, doesn't get noticed. Humility doesn't get hype. It doesn't get attention. There are no awards. Nobody, nobody receives the most humble person of the year award. And if they had such a thing, a truly deserving candidate wouldn't show up to receive the award. So what may surprise you, though, is that pride can only take you so far. There is a limit to how far you're going to go if you walk in pride. Eventually, you hit a roadblock. Pride may seem like the express train to success, but at some point that train is going to derail. And it not not only won't take you where you want to go, it will actually prevent you from receiving some pretty incredible gifts as well. So let's get into the scripture and find out exactly uh, what the context is today. So Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, I suspect if you've been in church for very long at all, you have heard this Uh, this verse. Uh, Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. If you can, here's what the, the scripture is telling us, if you continue to walk the way of pride, it will lead you to destruction. Every road leads to an ultimate destination and that road, the road of pride, will lead you to destruction. Some translations will say that pride goes before or leads to a fall. You will not get to where you want to go. And if you do, what you'll probably find is that where you wind up is not going to satisfy you the way you wanted it to. Someone said of success that, that, that you sometimes climb the ladder to the top only to find out that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. Pride does that to you. It blinds you from all of the warning signs that that might have prevented your fall or prevented the emptiness of pursuing the wrong things that you found at the top of that ladder. Pride prevents. Pride prevents uh, lots of things in your life that can only be found in humility. Pride prevents what humility provides. Pride prevents what humility provides. Now, one of the questions that I told you we would would be talking about in this series is what's being hindered in my spiritual life because of pride? Like, what's the big deal? What am I losing? What does it matter in my walk with God if I've got a little bit of pride in my life? Well, it turns out a whole lot, a whole lot. So uh, starting today and then next week as well, we're going to talk about what pride prevents in this series on humility. Today's message is pride prevents progress. Pride prevents progress. In other words, pride keeps you stuck. It keeps you stuck. The lie of pride, the deception of pride, is that it will get you where you want to go. The reality, the truth is that pride will actually prevent you from making progress towards anything worth having or any place worth going. So let's get into it. Let's see how pride prevents progress. And we're going to go and look at the life of David in 2 Samuel 
verse 12, uh, chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to read verses 7 through 9 and then jump to the conclusion in uh, verse 13. So Nathan, and I'll tell you who all the players are in just a second. Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. So here's the question that Nathan came to ask David. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and have stolen his wife. Here's the first point of two today. Pride prevents personal progress. Pride prevents personal progress. This, is a, this passage that we just read, this account, is a very important moment in David's life. It's a pivotal moment, not just for his spiritual life, but really for his life on the throne. His kingdom was hanging in the balance. How he handled this situation was going to determine whether or not he was going to be able to continue to reign and rule as the king of Israel. Whether or not he would, he would fulfill the destiny that God had promised him or whether he was going to fall into ruin and shipwreck himself like so many other of the monarchs who had the throne before and after him. Now, you probably understand the backstory, but just in case, David famously had an illicit affair with Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of his most loyal and elite soldiers. When she became pregnant with David's child, David tried to develop this scheme whereby Uriah would have believed that it was his own child. Uriah's own integrity prevented that from working, and so David gave the order to the commander of his army to make sure that Uriah died in the heat of the battle at the hands of the enemies of Israel. So the prophet of God named Nathan came to David uninvited to confront him on his sin. And he told David a story that was really an allegory of David's own sin. And the scripture that we just read together was when when Nathan revealed to David that he knew. When he said, you are that man, David knew that the gig was up. He knew that his sin had been found out. He knew that Nathan knew, and more importantly, he knew that God knew. And so Nathan asked him that very pointed and very important question. Why have you despised the word of the Lord so much that you've done this horrible deed? So before we talk about David's response, I want you to understand what's at stake here. David, as king, could have killed Nathan on the spot for calling him out on Bathsheba. He, he had put his, Nathan had put his life on the line by coming before the king uninvited to correct his king and his friend. A person he knew uh, to be a man after God's own heart, but he had no idea how he was going to respond to this. He also knew that one bad decision had led to a whole series of events that had led to this critical moment. So what happened? Fortunately for everybody, David was a humble man. Not a perfect man, but he was a humble man. He confessed, he repented, 
He admitted that he had sinned. Now, David was going to pay a great cost for his sin. But because David humbled himself, he was able to continue to grow as a person and continue to serve as a king. A lesser man would have allowed the pride of his position to get the better of him. And that pride would have prevented the personal growth, the personal progress of that person. But David was humble, and he continued to thrive, continued to grow and pursue God. Not perfectly, but consistently and humbly. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you respond when someone confronts you with correction? How do you respond when someone confronts you with a suggestion, with accountability? What do you do? What do you say? How do you respond? I am not proud to admit that far too often I haven't responded well. This this is how the Lord dropped it in my spirit a few weeks ago. Pride will make you so offended at the question that you never get around to the answer. Pride will make you so offended at the question you never get around to the answer. You do realize that if humility is the key to childlike faith and the kingdom of heaven, then pride is the work of the enemy to keep you out of the kingdom. So someone asks you a question. A question that might lead to a change in your behavior, a change in your attitude, a change in your motive, just a change in perspective. Something that might, if you handle it well, prepare you for what God has for you in the future. Something that will move you forward in your effectiveness in the kingdom of heaven. And what happens when you respond in pride? How dare you accuse me? Right? How dare you talk to me that way? I don't have to listen to this. Who are you to question me? Don't you know who I am? Why do you have to be so hateful? Why do you have to be so hurtful? Why do you always have to bring up the stuff that's so hard to talk about? Why? Deflections, right? Deflections, avoidance, turning it back on the other person, questioning their right to even ask you a question. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? The enemy will stir up your pride so that you never actually answer the question or consider the suggestion. Why? Because the truth would have set you free. But your pride prevents your personal progress to the point that you would rather stay in bondage to the way you are right now than humble yourself and grow. You cannot change. You can't grow. You can't move forward. If you're too proud to entertain the notion that you could possibly need to change something. This kind of attitude... um, characterized the first half of, of mine and Valerie's marriage for me. Maybe the first, probably the first couple of decades. We just finished, we just celebrated, we celebrated with COVID, uh, our 30 years of, of, uh, of marriage. Um, 30, 30 years, that's a long time. I would love to tell you that it, had been, it has been 30 years of marital bliss. 
That's just not the reality. And anybody that's been married longer than six months knows why, right? It's a lot of work. There's a lot of humbling yourself that has to happen in a marriage. We'll actually talk more about that next week. My struggle with pride, and I think we all struggle with pride in one way or the other, my struggle with pride is not arrogance in the sense that I think I'm better than somebody else. My struggle with pride is that I just always thought I was right. I know y'all don't know anybody like that. Um, but that's the deal. So when, when she would question me or bring something up um, that might suggest that perhaps I was incorrect on something, I, I didn't respond well. I used all those deflections. I'd get mad at the way she said it. I'd get mad at the tone with which she said it. I'd get mad at the volume at which she said it because I wouldn't listen the first 18 times she said it, right? Thank you, baby. I love you. You're always right. And um, any, any number of ways that I could use to make myself so angry at her for asking the question that I never had to answer it. Pride prevented progress in our marriage for years until I got hit in the head with a two-by-four. She didn't swing it. God did. I, um, I saw a, a tweet this week from T.D. Jakes, a quote from him. He said, um, if you only pay attention to people with a title, you'll miss opportunities for a lifetime. See, some people only want to hear from somebody with a title, somebody they consider to be their superior, somebody they consider to be an expert in the field. You know why? Because that's a very small number of people. And they are probably far too busy to ever specifically speak into your life so you think you're safe from their perspective. If you really want to grow, if you really want to progress as people, then we've got to be humble enough to receive wisdom and truth and even correction from anybody who carries the truth. Because truth is its own gift and it shouldn't matter how it's wrapped. Truth is its own gift. Shouldn't matter what it's wrapped in. Now listen, I didn't say, I did not say listen to criticism or mean-spirited fault-finding. That is not the same. Like some people get up ticked off at the world, and their goal for the day is to make everybody else as miserable as they are. Right? Do y'all know people? Like that? Or is that just me? They just can't wait to make you miserable about something. That's not what I'm talking about. You do not have to be somebody else's garbage can. Okay? But if someone comes to you in good faith, someone comes to you with your best interest at heart, even if they're not, you're not peers, even if you're not close, even if they're not even entirely correct, Humility demands that you listen with an open heart for that seed of truth that God might be trying to sow into your life. It makes you a better person. A person that God can and will use for his kingdom, but pride will prevent that personal progress. Now, here's a second way that pride 
prevents prog- per, uh, personal progress. Also from the life of David. Also in Second Samuel. This is, a, this is a few years before his affair with Bathsheba. Um, this is in chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. Here's the second point that I want you to, to hear and think about this morning is that pride prevents spiritual progress. Spiritual progress. Now listen, David was so excited about bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. That's a whole message unto itself. He sacrificed as they were walking from the city where it was up to Jerusalem, which was miles away. He sacrificed a bull and a calf every six steps. They took six steps, they sacrificed. They worshiped, they honored the Lord, took six more steps. Jeremy told me after the first service, he said, you know, I've done some research on this. He said it took them nearly four months to get to Jerusalem because they stopped every six steps. Thousands of animals were sacrificed to the Lord that day. Not just that day, but, but that whole procession to Jerusalem. As it moved towards Jerusalem, David danced before the Lord in such a way that it embarrassed his princess of a wife. But this, was a, this dance was not about David attracting attention. This was his way of honoring the Lord. Did you see how he was dressed, what the word says? It, he wasn't in his, in his kingly robes. He was in a priestly garment. If you didn't know what David looked like, it's possible that you, you couldn't have picked him out from the other priests and Levites. It wasn't about attracting attention to himself. But when he got home, his wife lit into him about how ridiculous it was, how embarrassing his behavior was. But her criticism was misplaced. And David told her, you think this was bad. You think you were embarrassed today. Just understand me. I, 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 feel, I feel like I have to say, because I'm sure he said it somewhere in there, listen, woman, right? I, if I embarrass you today, you don't even want to see what happens tomorrow, right? He said, if I embarrass you today, just understand, I am fully prepared to, to embarrass myself or yourself to do whatever I have to do to honor my God. He said, I am prepared to be even more undignified than this. I'm, in, I, I'm prepared to, to bring myself to the point of humiliation if that's what it takes to honor him. David had no sense of pride that would prevent his praise of his God. Now, let me ask you this today. How is your spiritual progress? You feel like you're, you're moving forward? you stuck? Moving backwards? Like, What's your spiritual progress like? Are you drawing closer to God? Well, here's the question that you've known has come in all the whole message. What part do you think pride might be playing in your lack of spiritual progress? You say, John, what does pride have to do with me getting closer to God? Like, what, what is that about? Well, it's very, very clear. I will show it to you in James chapter 4. James 4 says, as the scriptures say, God 
opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Then he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Listen, if you've got pride in your heart, you can't get close to God because God is keeping you at arm's length. That's what it says. He's resisting you. He's opposing you. That's an action verb. You may be trying to get closer to him, but he is actively preventing it because of your pride. Why? Because it says you can't come to God without what? Faith. You must have faith to come to God. Well, what's the opposite of faith? Pride. Pride prevents spiritual progress. You cannot get closer to God and be full of, of, of yourself. You say, so John, what, how do I get close to God? Verses 7 and 8 tell you, humble yourself. Then, when you, then you come close to God and God will come close to you. That's a pretty simple formula. I didn't say it was easy, but it's simple. You see, the good news of the kingdom is that to the same degree that God is repelled by pride, he's attracted to humility. So all we have to do is humble ourselves and take a step towards God, and God himself will start walking towards you. And the good news is he got longer legs than you do. You won't just get closer to God. God will get closer to you. But that kind of spiritual progress only comes through humility. Pride will prevent it from happening. It requires humility. Now listen, I grew up in a different era of Christianity than we're in today. Maybe I just grew up in a different place than people do today. I don't know. The little Baptist church that I grew up in they wouldn't have put up with this um, touchy-feely version of Christianity that the American church is peddling today. They just wouldn't have had it. You know why they wouldn't, they wouldn't have bought into that? Because they actually read the Bible. Amen. <laughs> Did that hurt? I didn't expect that to hurt as bad as that. Apparently hurt. They actually read the Bible and preached what it said. See, I, I didn't even know what seminary was. I thought they were saying cemetery. They, I, I didn't know. I didn't even know what seminary was. Like only one of my pastors had ever been to seminary, and there's nothing wrong with being to going to seminary and learning the Word of God as long as it doesn't create spiritual pride. You see, I, I listened to preachers when I was a kid. I listened to preachers that the Bible was the only book they could read. You understand what I'm saying? They were illiterate except for having asked God to help them read the Bible so they could preach the truth. Not stupid men, simple men, humble men who were overwhelmed with gratitude that they could read it and believe it for what it said. I've been thinking about this for a few months now. You know, there were things that sort of, there, there, I guess every preacher, every ministry has 
sort of some common themes, some common elements that if you sit under them long enough, you're going to hear some repetition. The things through my childhood, there are things from my childhood that sort of ring in my ears, and I'm not sure I've heard them in an American church in years, years. Here's, here's one such example, Luke chapter 9. It seems like every week, probably not, but it seemed like every week, somebody read it, quoted, preached it. Here it is from Luke chapter 9. And Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what does it benefit you? King James says, what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? If you yourself are lost and destroyed. And here's the one that I never hear said anymore. And if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, Jesus said, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and his holy angels. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a Christian, we're like, well, this is not how we become Christians. This is Jesus. Amen. <laughs> He's the one that determines how you become a Christian, how you become a follower of his. He said, you have to humble yourself. This is, that's what it means. He said you have to turn from your selfish ways. It's pride that makes you think everything is about you. Following Jesus benefits you, clearly. It saved you from eternity in hell. But following Jesus is not about you. You have to get yourself out of the middle of every scripture in this Bible. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. Amen. He said, humble yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Listen, Jesus actually said, if you're ashamed of me on this earth, I'll be ashamed of you before my father and his angels. He said it. If you have so much pride that you don't want anybody to know that you love Jesus, if you don't want anybody to know you serve Jesus, you don't want anybody to know you follow Jesus, then don't expect Jesus to act like he knows you when you stand before the Father at judgment. That's strong. People would say now, oh, that's just that's so harsh. People just won't tolerate it. You think it's harsh to read it? You think it's harsh to hear it? Wait till you're standing before the Father and the angels and Jesus says, not, not that one. Not that one. I don't know him. When it's the eternal truth of the Word of God, it doesn't matter if you like it or if you'll tolerate it. Because the truth is going to be the truth forever, no matter where anybody agrees with it or not. God does not need us to agree with it or to like it or to confirm it. It just is because he just is with or without us. 
It's the eternal word of God. And if we're expecting to make it into eternity with Jesus, then we got to stop caving to our pride and hiding our faith, hiding our worship, hiding our love for Jesus, throttling back our commitment, throttling back the parts of ourselves that we allow the spirit to inhabit. How hard is it to lift a hand in worship? How hard is it to say amen? How hard is it to come to the altar and pray? How hard is it to tell someone about Jesus? How hard is it to tell someone at work that you'll be praying for them? Or even better, to actually pray for them right then and there at the appropriate time and in the appropriate way. What's holding us back from doing what the book says? Is it not pride? Are we ashamed of Jesus? I'm not talking about church folks. Yes, I'm ashamed of a whole bunch of church folks, but are we ashamed of Jesus so much that we just quit doing anything? Are we ashamed of the one who hung naked on a cross in judgment for sins that we committed? We're supposed to be using the word of God as a mirror to measure our spiritual progress. But pride keeps us looking at ourselves instead. We're supposed to be humbly reflecting his image. And pride keeps us wrapped up in our own image and reputation. Whatever that means. Listen, what kind of spiritual progress could you make If you quit worrying about what other people thought and just gave Jesus what you know he deserves. Millions of people around this world who believe in the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I do do want to make sure you understand this. What makes a church... A Pentecostal church is not how many believe in the doctrine, but how many have experienced the reality. Okay? There are millions of people who believe doctrinally in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but have never experienced it because they're afraid of looking foolish. That, that's what took me so long. That's what, that's what it was for me. But once I humbled myself before God, once I determined that I just didn't care, I just, I could, I did care, I couldn't care. Once I determined that I cared more about my relationship with God than I did about what somebody thought about me or how uncomfortable it might make me, then it didn't take long before I had the experience of what I already believed. Pride prevents spiritual progress. Was there a time when your worship was more passionate than it is now? Then find out what happened. It's not enough to just confess. You need to confess and assess. Find out what happened. And listen, don't you dare start looking around at other people or at the worship team or at anything external. 
Nothing can stop a worshiper who's determined to worship. Period. Not the song, not the style, not the singer, not the rest of the congregation. True, humble worship can find its expression regardless of what's going on around you. Listen, if Paul and Silas from the center of the deepest, darkest prison can praise and worship, then obviously the only hindrance to our worship is us. just so convicted this morning because I know there have been times in my life when my worship has been more sincere and more expressive and more extravagant and I'm searching my heart to find out what happened but I promise you when I get to the root of it it's going to be pride staring at me it's pride I'm repenting and I'm confessing and I'm committing that I am not ashamed of Jesus. Listen, while I'm telling you all my problems, let me tell you another one. I'm really self-conscious about praying for people. It just nuts me up. Like I can pray from the platform all day. One-on-one scares me to death. You know, that's ridiculous. A preacher don't want to... Listen, I'm just telling you. Y'all got weird stuff in your life too. I'm just telling you. It scares me to death standing in a hospital room praying for somebody. Maybe it does some of you too. Lord, please, let me, one of y'all need to be uncomfortable with me, all right? Because I just don't feel like I measure up. Right? Like I'm looking for results. I don't... I mean, ain't nothing... No, there's nothing there to see. I don't know if, I, like, did it work? I don't know if it worked. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, it feel, I feel like I don't measure up. Whatever that means. Like, you, you know it's not a competition, right? Like, nobody's going to pop up and go, 7.4, 7.4. Like, it was only at a 6, but he used three King James words, so that's like a 7.5, like, I know it's not going to happen, but I feel like it is. It's just so awkward. Like what happens if I pray for somebody and the prayer isn't answered in the way that we wanted it to be? We pray for healing and they aren't healed. We pray for an opportunity that doesn't materialize. We pray for for an open door and the door stays locked, whatever the case may be. Listen, I'm just telling you, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but at the end of the day, it's pride. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to look bad. I'm afraid I'm, ask the pastor, he prays for stuff, it never happens. Like, never. That's all about me. Listen, we're offering a prayer, we're not placing an order. We're not responsible for the answer. One pastor says, He's called us to get in the game, not keep the score. The answer is no reflection on me. But you know what is a reflection on me? Jesus said you don't have because you don't ask. 
Moses and Samuel both said something to the extent of far be it from me that I should sin against you by not praying for you. How much blessing, how much provision, how many miracles have I left in the storehouse of God because my pride made me too proud to step out in childlike faith and just ask? can't be ashamed we can't be ashamed pride prevents spiritual progress listen it's time to pray it's time to whoever breathe somebody come on we have to keep moving forward we have to keep growing we have to get more effective as kingdom people we have to be more effective as followers of Jesus maybe there's a truth that somebody's trying to speak to you but you got so offended at the question you never actually considered the answer there are people that God is trying to communicate with them but they, 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 they only want it in such a narrow window that God just ain't going to play the game. Right? You're like, oh, well, that, I heard that message in tongues this morning, but I don't believe in tongues. Well, it just happened. Like, he just sent you the word. It happened. It did in, in the first, first service this morning. We had tongues interpretation. And it just hit me that there are people sitting there desperately, desperately seeking to hear a word from God, but who may very well have said, well, but I don't believe in tongues. He just told you what you've been needing to hear, but you're not going to receive it because it ain't in the box you wanted to be in. Humility demands that we answer the question or receive the message. Listen, maybe you've hit a wall spiritually. You're just stuck. Y'all know I love you. This church is stuck. Has been for years. Collectively, we've been growing in some ways slowly. It is time to humble ourselves and to worship this wall down. To pray it down. To push it down. It's time. It's time. God is ready to accelerate us. He's he's ready to move. It's time to lay down the pride and to humble ourselves so he can draw near. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that why we're supposed to be coming to church in the first place? So that he draws near? Because nothing can stand in his presence. Nothing can stand against his power. So my prayer today and moving forward is just God, come near. Just come near as we humble ourselves before you. As we resist the devil and he flees from us. Lord, would you come near. And we reject our pride. Humble ourselves because He is what we need.
We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.